She left early. I was I was with her earlier on. She left early, especially to get there in time for this. So, I, I've so, made it. I made it to the minute. It was fantastic timing. Um, yeah. Everyone, hello. We're just going live on all the social media channels. If you watch Women in Food and Farming uh, before, you know what we're waiting for. We're just waiting for all the social media channels to click in. Um, Kirsty claims that she's at the National Fruit Show in Kent, um, but we, we think she, she might actually be in in the, the Marriott Hotel and she's got it confused with the, with the Kent Exhibition Centre. What, what do you think, Kirsty? Well, to be fair, Alex, I can't actually tell exactly where I am. It is somewhere with a big building and it's dark. Um, and I'm, I've just sent off um, my colleague to go and set up um, for me. So she's going to do the hard graph whilst Excellent. I sit here. Hopefully we're at the right place. Otherwise, she's got a lot of stuff to lug around. Well, and, and guys, can I just show off? Because I've, uh, I've just stepped off a plane from Orlando, having been at the International Fresh Produce Association Global Produce and Floral Show in Orlando, because uh, they are they um, commissioned us to go and do a set of live interviews out there. And that, that was really amazing in comparison to our shows here. See what the, the Americans are so positive about about the future. They have used the word before on our broadcast. They, they feel they're really in the zeitgeist about about produce. Um, that the, the the TV adverts in America are, are fascinating. It's either they're trying to sell you cars cheap, or they're trying to sell you um, medicine, dental plans, twenty four hour um, chemical chemical drive throughs. Uh, but so they uh, yeah they're they're very 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 positive about um, about the future and fresh produce and they want that message to come over to to the uk christine do you think that's the right message we need to be really positive about fresh produce to get get the consumer to to consume more uh, very definitely i think that well no, no one produce it's anywhere anywhere like five a day i think we're on about three a day and i think the australians think that actually if you wanted to make a difference to your health you should be on about 10. yeah 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 that's why we need people like dr judo mckee right we're all live Let's let's get on with this. So we are on the November issue of Women in Food and Farming um, with me, Max McGillivray on Beanstalk Global, who's got jet lag. So we'll see how, how, how we get on uh, with this one. Uh, we're just going to have a, a quick catch up with uh, with everyone. Um, Debbie is then going to introduce the brilliant Dr. Juno um, so we can find out more about what she's going to talk about, which is going to be managing uh, complexity. Uh, but Christine, you've got some great uh, updates uh, that you're just telling us in the green room about women in food and farming and in-person events. Tell us, tell us, tell us. Well, just, just following the last in-person event, um, people have asked for more of them and two businesses have come forward just to sponsor the events, um, which generally we want to put the money towards um, having people under 30 attend for nothing. And uh, it was it was I think it was about over 80 people that we had there and it was just fantastic. And uh, so we'll probably I think we're, we're going to see when the rooms are available first, because we're hoping that Savills will very generously allow their room. But we're aiming to do one in March, April and one in September, October next year. And and just in case you were worried to continue with these monthly speakers. <laughs> fantastic. Debbie, have I allowed you to say anything yet? Oh, no, no, not yet. It's all oh. right. I was going to introduce Juno. Oh, hold on. Just, just tell us about the last in-person event at the end of September. What, what were your views of it? I was just great to get back to have, being able to have a chat live with lots of interesting people of different ages, different occupations, um, and it was really great interaction catch-up. Um, I think we all got a lot out of it, and we were all looking for another one. So, thank you. Yeah, no, I think um, we're seeing this as, as per, per my trip to Florida, um, everyone was so excited to meet 
um, each other in person. That's actually is a good segue as to uh, what um, Kirsty's doing. Kirsty, what in all seriousness, what are you doing down in sunny Kent? Uh, so we're down here today, uh, well tomorrow, for the National Fruit Show. Um, MDS will be having a, a stand as we continue to uh, create and sort of uh, develop relationships with businesses down in Kent. But also um, our CEO, CEO Safi Waterson, uh, will be keynote speaker uh, tomorrow, uh, talking about the um, perceived uh, issues people might think of when they're considering a career within the, the food industry and how, as an industry, we can work together to overcome them and get more brilliant young people into the industry. And Christine will also be talking um, at a roundtable um, panel along similar types of lines about what we can do as an industry to um, overcome some of the educational barriers around um, young people potentially coming to join us in the industry. Excellent and so I'm down at the National Fruit Show as well because they've commissioned me to do a set of live interviews. Um, but Kirsty what shall I do? Shall I interview you or shall I interview uh, uh, Christine? What do you reckon? Find whichever one you think would, is going to give you the, the, the best chat. We'll both be around all day. What, no, I, well, all, all seriousness, I think I think uh, to have Safi, you and Christine would, would be would be would be a powerhouse. But let's see how we get on. And, and anyone who's down at the National Fruit Show, it looks like it's going to be a fantastic event. They've got they've got royalty there, and it's not Christine. It's uh, it's, it's the Countess of uh, of Wessex. And uh, um, Debbie was just telling us in the green room that she's a big supporter of um, the Royal University, um, Royal Ag University. And uh, Debbie, what was the other one? RHA. Oh. No, it wasn't that. It was oh. Royal Agricultural Society. Oh, sorry, sorry. Big, big up, Sarah Sessa, which is appalling to me, considering I came from Harper. Right, should we, should we get, should we get on with this? Because we've got Juno wait, waiting in the wings, and she wants to tell us everything about her, about herself and managing complexity. Um, Kirsty, do you, do you want to just park yourself? And Christine, can you just park yourself? Debbie, could you introduce our keynote speaker for tonight on women, food, and farming, please? I'm very uh, blessed to be able to to introduce Juno. Dr. Juno McKee, she is the director of NIAB Ventures and NIAB Company Secretary. I've actually known her for a number of years and I particularly asked her to come today to talk about managing complexity because one of the things Juno does incredibly well is manage a number of very complex projects at the same time. And I think it's a good learning and a lesson for us all as to how to keep, if you like, plates spinning and things bouncing along, but in a lovely, positive way. So please, can I introduce Juno to you? Juno, how, how was that? Was that was that a good enough introduction? Oh, that was superb. Thank you very much, Debbie. Um, I, I have known Debbie and enjoyed her company for many years. And I've always thought of you as my as my industry granny, Debbie. You've, um, you've always got an arm for everybody and um, lots of words of encouragement. So oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely fab. Completely concur, concur. So, so many people uh, regard Debbie as a as a as a key mentor uh, as to getting them uh, through through this uh, the sector, uh, whatever stage of the, the career they're at. Um, do you know? I know I'm not going to embarrass you, but I just want to the people who listen in on the podcast are, are really keen um, to to get a bit more um, information on our speakers because sometimes it doesn't come come across as well on a podcast as it, as it does on the, on video. So if you just bear with me, I just want to tell everyone dialed in 
on uh, Zoom and, uh, and social media and our, our podcast, a little bit more information about you. So our November podcast, we're delighted to be joined by Dr. Juno McKee, Director of Ventures at NIAB to discuss managing complexity. Juno has over 20 years of experience leading and managing applied research, technical services, knowledge exchange and product development for agribusinesses and currently provides leaderships for NIAB's innovation and commercial commercialization activities as Director of Ventures. Gina also serves on the advisory board of the British Crop Protection Council and on the executive management team of Agrometrics, the UK ag tech uh, centre for data science, analytics and modelling in the agri-food sector. Gina has a first degree in plant biology and a PhD from the University of Newcastle upon Tyne. She also has an MBA from the Open University Business School and is a 2003 Nuffield Farming Scholar uh, majoring on UK wheat breeding and supply chain. Gina, that was even better, wasn't it? Not, not there was anything one with Debbie's introduction, but that gave gave, gave some uh, real real detail. Was that okay? Yeah, thank you. No, that's um, hopefully my resume in a in a nutshell. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah, but 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 you know, you don't come from a farming background, so everything I've just said, it, it would it would almost be like you have um, you, you've got a, a large five thousand hectare estate in Cambridgeshire. How did you trip into the mercurial world of farming then? Well, dare I say it was somewhat accidentally, Max, and it took it took some time. Um, so I guess my interest began um, at school where I had just the best biology teacher in the world, Mr. Devani. And he was just so enthusiastic about biology that it became my favorite thing. And I think part of it was, you know, I could relate biology to what I could see. It wasn't like physics. It wasn't like chemistry. It was something that you know, you can see plants growing or, you know, you can imagine how your insides digest things. So I love biology and I came from a family of scientists. Um, so it was pretty inevitable that I had to pick a science. <laughs> um, my dad was a bit disappointed because he was a chemist. Um, oh, no. <laughs> you, you are the black sheep. Yeah. And then so, you know, I did I did science A-levels and then I decided I didn't really like dissecting rats and animals and things. So I settled on studying plant science at Newcastle um, and really accidentally, I um, then decided to, well, I suppose I didn't really know what to do. So I got a job as a research associate and carried on because I'd enjoyed doing the plant biology degree so much. Um, and I did a PhD in ecological genetics. So I was still working with natural plant populations then, um, but I was able to, to use that work to, to get a PhD from Newcastle as well, which was just the best training really in um, how to manage things and, and discover new things. It really is, you know, doing a PhD just as a framework of training and learning um, was, was really brilliant and, and opened my eyes to becoming independent and, you know, setting up hypotheses and testing them and, you know, just fabulous, really loved it. Um, and then uh, I guess I, and I think at that time as well, I was, my PhD was quite applied and it was, um, looking at the effect of temperature. So it was actually, um, you know, all that, those years ago, I was, I was working on something relevant to climate change, um, which just felt important, um, you know, didn't seem to be science for the sake of science. So I think that those early years and things that I did really got my interest in how science can make a difference. Yeah. Um, and, 
gave me a lot of skills in managing subjectivity and managing um, you know data just a whole range of things that that really um, and but I loved learning loved learning you can see from yeah. my resume okay. um, three degrees later I can't you know I would do it again if, if you say what are you going to do in your retirement max I'd probably say another degree it's really interesting that we've had a number of people on over the last couple, couple of years on women of food and farming um, who've who've reached really interesting levels within um, agriculture horticulture uh, fresh but they don't have a um, a background but the common link has always been that that teacher that teacher who's, who's given that individual the, the magic dust and sent sent them on on their way it just it just shows that it's just so important to have good teachers in your formative years yeah no absolutely um he was brilliant anyway i um finally then um my my job as a research associate came to an end and i, I had to look for a real job um, at which point I spotted something at NIAB, which was about plant science. It was very relevant. Um, and the link was seeds. So that was, you know, NIAB became my entry into um, the agricultural world. Um, and so I started my first job at NIAB in 1995. So wow. um, it's obviously been my favorite place because I'm still here 27 years later so yeah. and I think it was you know just the charitable remit of of NIAB and you know our remit is thou shalt do good for for UK agriculture and horticulture um, right. in the UK and internationally and I just I just really have always connected with that ability to do something have have an impact yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I just to state you haven't had the same job for 27 years the, so, so it feels like um, you've, you've had a succession of differing roles within the sector but it just happens to be all under the the, the same umbrella being NIAB yeah absolutely and it's I guess when I first joined NIAB like probably most of the industry and organizations in it um, things went you know happened at a much slower pace um, change in general was was much less common um, there was a lower utilization of technology. I remember because um, I was running labs in a very technical role when I first went to NIAB. And I remember working with somebody who said, oh, it's not that long since we were measuring um, the nutritional content of grass by running it through a sheep and taking, you know, taking samples from <laughs> no. the sheep. We used to, part of the laboratory used to be to maintain this sheep, this poor sheep that had things sticking out of its stomach too. Oh no, so, no. I, <laughs> so I was working with people who, who still remembered those days. So I think there was generally, um, you know, the pace of change in technology and the utilization of technology was definitely um, much lower. And I think the, the management systems at, at NIAB were very hierarchical. It almost yeah. felt like working for the, the civil service. It was long-standing and stable business. You know, we, we were set up um, in the wake of the First World War to, to um, help with food security. So um, it had been a long, a long time um, that things had remained the same. So I think my evolution as actually um, matched NIABs because effectively NIAB was privatized the year after that I, I joined them. Yeah. And, and what, what was the reason for the privatization? What, what's uh, forced that change through? Well, I think at the time they were challenging times and um, it was the post Thatcherite era. And so yeah. I think there was a lot of consolidation that went on during those next 10 years. 
with agricultural colleges and research institutes. Um, some disappeared, some were consumed into universities. Um, so, uh, yeah, the government interest in, in supporting so many organisations, I think, had dwindled. Um, and that included, that included NIAB. Yeah. Um, and of course, life immediately became more complex um, when you don't have um, some, any core support. Um, yeah. So we effectively, although we were set up as a charity, um, we, we effectively had to start quite quickly changing. Yeah, um, to, to be commercial. It, it... To be more commercial, but, but to be clear, we've always been a charity. So we tread this fine line, wow. which is part of our complexity where we have to cover the cost of what we do, um, but at the same time, we are not overtly commercial, but we, we, so we actually have quite a complex structure so that we do have trading subsidiaries yep. and we do make products, which we sell and we do sell services, but yep. none of it is, is, you know, to generate profit for shareholders. Yep. That's not, that's I've, not. And, and just to confirm uh, from the, the, uh, the, the, 25 years ago to today, NIAP is a completely different beast, is a completely different commercial organisation, is it? Oh, definitely. I mean, we began to diversify our customer base, basically, to, to reduce our dependence. And um, part of the interesting um, things around that was that we began to um, focus really heavily on growing our industry relationships yep. um, because they'd been lost a little bit. Um, yeah. over, over a period of time, as more and more things have been devolved back to the industry. Um, so I think particularly interesting for me was this, the, the point at which we began to realise that we really needed to walk forward with, um, alongside farmers and growers and get more connected with them. And alongside that, we needed to get bigger. You know, we, we were only, um, we, we got down to nearly just 200 people. Yeah. Uh, so we needed to generate some scale. So we began to do that through acquisition. So we came together with the Arable Group, um, which was a very farmer-focused agronomy um, type service. And I was I got involved in in merging that business into into the Naya business. And it was a membership scheme and we had to bring these um NIAB had a membership the arable group had a membership we had to bring them together and do something useful for all our our um, farmer members and i think that was you know when i um, ended up doing the nuffield scholarship etc because i just found it so intriguing it was the first time i'd worked with farmers and growers and that yeah. was you know so in the early 2000s and that was directly and it was just interesting be around people with, you know, culturally different and, you know, different views and not even the same view, obviously, across our whole farmer member base. So it was interesting beginning to understand you can't control what people think. If, you know, sometimes it felt like herding sheep, there'll <laughs> always be somebody to disagree. Nobody wants to pay for services. It should all be free, you know? Yeah. And so yeah, there was yeah. so much, so many things to juggle and um, things to change and bring yeah. together. It, it was just really interesting. I, I, I can't believe that there was an actual day where there was this, by, by the sounds of it, a separation between yourself and the, and the farmers growers. Today, I, I could recount so many um, uh, circumstances of people going to the likes of cereals 
and groundswell and any, anyone listening on an international basis that those are two major serial events and I, I asked them well where are you going to go to first and they always say NIAB it's absolutely right Max and I, at the time I remember being really there were times when I got really worried about NIAB because we were actually still doing a lot of things that for you know on behalf of, of growers and farmers but we weren't directly connected was the problem so the arable groups began to solve that for us because it brought together the work that we were doing on genetics with agronomy effectively and how those genetics might perform um, in a real field um, on a real farm yeah. in, a, in a real situation so uh, it was really important that, that that we did that operationally behind the scenes we ended up almost with two you know you've got two separate organizations with two different yeah. cultures and it yeah. was really obvious in the way people did things and the way you know and it took quite a while for us to learn how to come together properly so that yeah. we, we we deliver what we deliver today which has been you know 20 years in the making really and, and you must be oh i'm just going to say on your behalf you and your colleagues at NIAB must be so proud of where you are at, at the moment in the respect of that relationship with you with the growers that you've got i know it's just a moment in time and things go up and up and down uh, but you, you see some of the vagaries with other other elements um in in our, our agricultural sectors but NIAB and, and that relationship with, with the farmers the growers does seem to be exceptionally strong oh and, and i think it's because you know one of the things that it was really important about managing this growing complexity is to be really clear about what your objectives are so that yeah. you can't get distracted yep. you know you, and so to ac we accepted the position we were in and we thought really deeply about what it was that we needed to do and all our industry starts with serving you know the growers and the farmers on on the ground and therefore we we feel in everything we do we need to feel that connection at Naya back yeah. to you know everything that we do um we can probably um add up you know the the metric around gross value added um to to the industry by by what and, and on farm by by what we do and yeah. that is important to us to walk alongside um what the growers and farmers need because it's guided our transition you know if we follow what 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 farmers and growers need then we will we will be following what the industry needs and and, and Gina talk about transition as you intimated you've been there 26 27 years and you haven't had one job that, that that transition for you that must have been uh, fascinating um, as, as you've grown within within the business has, has that positively influenced your career within within this umbrella of, of NIAB having managing this complexity yeah it's been brilliant as many people do I've discovered quite early on um, that with change comes great opportunity excellent well and, done. Um, you know it's sometimes difficult to embrace change it, it tends to feel really uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, and I kind of take it, you know, as I think as your career develops, you take it for granted that feeling uncomfortable is part of what you have to do in your professional yeah. career. I suspect nobody feels entirely comfortable every yeah. day in, in what they do. Um, but certainly to deal with complexity, you have to be willing to, um, you know, meet and discuss things with people with completely opposite views to you you yep. know you have to be prepared to be flexible and listen to and adjust your point of view in in response to um things that they're saying um 
you know, you have to just accept that the truth can morph and change. And, you know, yeah. what, what is true one day might not be true next week sometimes. Yeah. In, but in would, so would it be wrong to call you a project manager within this um, umbrella of, uh, of, of NIAB? I think that's definitely what, what I have ended up becoming, very much a generalist, actually. Okay. So going from, you know, I had technical roles running laboratories and increasingly large number of laboratories and, I think our, our um, previous CEO, Tina Barsby, who many of you will know very well, used to joke with people and say there wasn't a part of NIAB I hadn't managed at some point. Yeah. So I think I just, you know, because I was flexible, I could move with the business need. Yeah. And it's yeah. evolved into this job that I have now where it's never the same thing that I'm doing. Um, yeah. and, and I guess project management is, is the nearest that it, it, it would come to. So... Um, during the pandemic, for example, we were applying for funding to set up an agri-tech incubator because we feel it's really important to engage with that sector. Um, so we got funding and then, you know, we had to go through a whole process um, supported, I might say, by some fabulous MDS um, placements at NIAB, um, um, all the way through the process of building the building, furnishing the building and then um, developing a business model around that. So, yeah, we I, I, I have a lot of fun, Max. It's um, it's new things all the time. Um, and lots of new learning, which... Um... But, 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 you know, this is what we need to learn from you under this title of managing complexity, because do you think with the way that business is going and uh, just the, uh, the the economic scenario that we're in, that businesses perhaps won't be able to employ uh, more people because they, they haven't got that that, uh, that that fat on the bone. So they're going to have to look at their existing team and get them to do more, to project manage more. And if, if that if that is the case, what can we learn from from you? Is this is this some um, managing complexity? This skill set that you've got of project managing is this is this something that you already had in you, or or, or did you go out for external training, or did you learn from from, from the likes of the, of the Debbies of the world? How, how did you how did you get the skill set of managing complexity, project management? I, I haven't had any formal training. No, I think it is very much. Um, being prepared to get in the deep end and get on and do it. Yeah. Um, so I think anybody can do it as long as you're clear about what you want to achieve. Um, and that's in terms of output. Um, but I think, I think the skill set, skill set I have has definitely been helped working for somewhere that's been in a permanent um, flux of change because it's yeah. such a difficult space. Um, but I think a lot of businesses are in that position. Now. The, the pace of change is so much. And, you know, especially with, um, you know, all the challenges that we've got ahead of us and particularly the technologies, because I think technology does offer, you know, some really valuable um, prospects for increasing productivity and enhancing resilience and reducing emissions, all these things that we, we, we need to work towards as an industry. I yeah. think technology, but... You know, I think there's been so much conversation about data, for example, and, you know, we can gather this data and we can generate actionable insights and we can. And I think that's a real example where the science and the technology is there to do all these things. You know, computing is obviously an area where, you know, we have AI, we have all sorts of technologies that we can bring to bear. I think we need organizations like NIAB and we need that can do that problem solving bit in between because yep. it's all very well having the building blocks on one end of the equation, 
but you have to have the product or the service or the output on the end, which is really going to make um, a farmer's life easier in some way, you know, save time, um, reduce inputs, you know, save money. It's got to do those, those, you know, it's got to deliver on those um, aspects. And that's a complex journey, you know, particularly when you're talking about things like breeding plants, yeah. that's not simple, no. but the new technologies that are available to us are just, um, you know, to me, they're potentially like magic that it's just, so, <laughs> it's just so exciting if we could really move things forward and the precision ag bill could get through. And in this country, yeah. we, we were allowed to um, generate new products using these technologies. We can speed things up. Yeah. We can target, you know, the problems better. It, it will just, you know, it, it will be, um, you know, step changes instead of incremental change, which is what we need to achieve. Okay, um, okay. We'll, we'll come on to that a little bit later. Just, just coming back to yourself again, I'm really intrigued by this managing complexity and your project management element of it. When, when you have a new project to, to look at, have, have you got some file behind you that's got your what one to 50 steps that you uh, follow on a binary basis? Um, and that's the way that you, you've, you've looked at every role that you, you've had. Or no, I don't, I don't do 50 steps, Max. That's far too complex. <laughs> <laughs> or, or do you go in there with open eyes back find, then sit down and, and just crash, cr crash it around in your head and then come up with a plan. How, how do you operate? We, 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 we want to know. Yeah, well, the first thing is I find the people that can help me achieve the, the goal. It's, ah. always, it's always about ah. the people. It's, <laughs> it's never about me, I'm afraid. It's, That's it's, brilliant. Al it's always about the people who have the skill sets um, that we need to um, understand the problem and then... Um, create the solution to to the problem so the and, team and you know, I've, I've got to, i've got to come across because just got to get a better understanding with um will that um solution those other people would they be internally within NIAB or do you go externally as well yeah not necessarily in ventures we work with a lot of consultants in fact wow. um i worked with debbie that's when i first worked with debbie we had um a big um, training project that we were putting in place and with Debbie's contacts in the industry etc we um, she was really instrumental in in helping us, us do that so no um, and, and it's one of the um, really nice things about my job because um, I get to meet yeah. really special people who can do and help create um, um, real out really good outcomes alongside NIAB staff um, so, yes, we work with people internally, um, depending on what we need to do, but often we, we, we involve external um, consultants. Yeah, yep. and, and each project that, that you do, it is on a case-by-case -case basis, is it? Or, or, do, you, or, or do you have a, a, a rough framework that, you, that you've adapted to, uh, for, for yourself that you know works and you therefore deploy, or, or do you just look at every project differently? Um, yeah, no, I mean, first, first off, go talk to people, find out, scope it out and, and be really clear about the objectives. Um, and you've got to create simplicity. So people will give you very complicated versions of, of, of things. Some of the science that, that we deal with, I mean, to give you an example, we had 30 years worth of potato research into how a potato plant assimilates sunlight um, and turns that into a potato. And that's 30 years worth of data and research wow. um, and modeling capability 
which my task was to get it digitized and turned into a commercial product um, to, um, and so we'd been, you know, we'd been used, we had a manual way of doing this, but it was the whole digitization and then deployment at scale so that people, you know, using satellite imagery to measure canopy, et cetera. Um, so that involved working um, in partnership over a number of years with um, um, several partners um, to achieve this digitization. And then the commercialization piece was a separate piece. Um, but it, they had to walk alongside. We had to know that there was a there was a market for what we were doing and that somebody would be interested in. And I'm delighted to say that, you know, there is a, a, a major global um, potato um, processor Excellent. that uses that technology um, based on our science. Excellent. Um, so it's, it's, you know, and that the commercialization piece is really just to benefit, you know, to, to bring ba- value back, to feed back into the research piece at NIAB, which is what I find so personally gratifying. I'm not selling, um, you know, our services or our products um, just for, to line somebody's pocket. I'm yeah, doing it um, to really um, feed our science and, and feed a sort of virtuous cycle. So I think that understanding, you know, I had to understand the science. So that's step one, you talk to the research teams um, and then you look at the, t- you know, we had external consultants who were looking at the markets and making sure that, you know, we understood if if um, we were going to be successful, what our product had to be like. We produced demonstrate demonstration products or draft reports or, you know, so that we can test what we've done and that we're going on the right in the right direction. And I think yeah. that flexibility to change what you're doing as you go along, if something isn't working, is critical. You really did. You know, you stole my, my words. Everything that we talked about is, has been positive, but things go wrong. What What do you do when things go wrong? I love it when things go wrong, Max, because that's when you learn your biggest lessons, isn't it? <laughs> you don't you don't make the same mistake twice. So I think, honestly, it, it's actually quite fundamental because I have worked in teams and around teams where there's a bit of a blame culture. You know, something goes yeah, yeah. wrong and everybody just wants to know who's responsible and yeah. that that's not conducive to um learning and, a, and and moving things on and getting things done um you've got to learn from your mistakes so you've got to identify what ha- happened and what went wrong um, yeah. but i think it's it's a great way of learning really quickly and yeah. well, the thing is fear of making mistakes can hold things up so you know i just think um, just do it was one of my mottos just get on and do, let's just get on and do it and don't worry you know I think you have to show leadership and say I will carry the can if it goes wrong yeah, well don't done. worry you know yeah. I will have your back um, yeah. but I, I wouldn't say we've had any I don't think I've witnessed anything too catastrophic <laughs> hold on to the walls <laughs> yeah well that's the other thing about mistakes they really end, they rarely end the world do they they're rarely as bad as as, yeah. as in your imagination so 
Yeah, I, I had a seminal moment years ago when I think it was the last recession when we were having problems with our recruitment business and we couldn't pay our rent at, at our old at our old place. And I, and I said to the landlord, we can't pay the rent. He said, Max, it's fine. No one's died. Just pay us work when, when you can. And that gave us such a, a, a great, great relief. And it's, I always remember that mantra that no, no one's died. It could be fixed. Just got to, got to, got to work, work through it. But what, what about people management? So people, are, are, I've said this so many times on, on Women in Food and Farming, uh, running running a business, um, running a business, employing people is is the is the best thing about running a business. Employing people is the worst thing about running a business. How that's like, how do you manage people to get to get the best out of them? Yeah, um, I'm really lucky because I don't manage big teams. I have okay. hardly any staff, and so that I think immediately gives me an advantage or a disadvantage, as you might. Um, <laughs> so. I have had to, um, you know, to get people to do things, you, there has to be something in it for them. It's a little bit like, you know, developing a product. It's the same thing. There has to be, you have to listen to, um, I mean, it depends what you're doing, but if you're trying to change a process, for example, um, and people around you don't want to change that, they don't agree with you, yeah. then um, you just have to find the sweetener for them uh, yeah. and, and give them a motivation. Um, I have three children as well, so I have had to practice. <laughs> you, you know how to negotiate. <laughs> <laughs> yes. um, but I think you do, to be fair, you do have to be flexible. So it's interesting sometimes when you sit down and you talk to somebody who's really, you know, not up for something or, you know, and through conversation and good communication and a flexible approach, I think you can... Um, you can carry people with you. And I think building teams is really important as well. Teams with a common goal yeah. um, is really important. Um, yeah. And, and do, do you know, with your experience within NIAB, you will also get involved with other businesses externally of, of, of agriculture. What, what's your view? What's your take of how sophisticated we are within, say, specifically agriculture in comparison to, say, I don't know, engineering or, or accounting? Uh, or, or academia do, do, do you think that we, we are on par below par could do could do better how, how do you score us as a sector I think um I think I wouldn't like to be judgmental because I'm not you know like I say I'm a I'm a and a I'm a an outsider to the sector in in many respects um I think um Certainly when I was in school, nobody suggested, you know, I don't think we have the glamour that, you know, when I listen to my children talking about, you know, what would you like to be when you grow up? Um, you know, I don't, I don't hear them saying, you know, I want to be involved in food and farming. I want to be involved in, you know, managing the food that we eat on the, on the table. I think there is a dis, there remains a disconnect. Yeah. Um, but, but of course I live in a city, so um you know we live in Cambridge we're not rural so it may be different in more rural areas but I think um I think things are changing but quite slowly I think there are many many reasons for that if I'm a a, a, a grower and I grow a crop you know I take great risk at changing things in my system yeah you know it's the the, the whole idea of risk management isn't it and um it, yeah. it, it can be a risky business. Yeah. So, I've, 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 sorry, you know, I've got a daughter who's doing a marketing degree in design and I keep on encouraging her to come 
into this sector because to, to me with her skill set when she's finished her degree at nottingham she'll be able to um, bring so much more in but at the moment she wants to be aligned to a fashion brand uh, but we're also picking which is great great for her obviously but i'd love, love her to come into this this uh, the, the, the sector but we're also seeing as i'm sure you've seen as well a younger generation who want to be aligned to, to a company with very strong sustainable values um and diversity and 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 you, you look at everything that agriculture, horticulture, fresh produce can offer, not only in the UK, uh, but, but overseas. Um, that's why I'm very positive. We talked about Groundswell earlier, uh, why there was, there was such a great impact of a younger generation that, that likes a Groundswell, because they're so excited about, about coming in, into, the, into the sector. Would you agree? Yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's, it's so important what we do, isn't it? I mean, it is, the, it is what we eat. It is what the food we put on our table. It is um, absolutely fundamental. And... Yeah, these these um, um, challenges of you know increasing productivity and enhancing resilience and um, combating climate change are are just such big problems. We need every bright young mind that we can um, being attracted to come and work in the industry. So um, I'm certainly working on my on my girls. Are you okay? Yes. I just, I just, just go back a bit. I just love this this th thought that there's all these magic threads of NIAB on, on the sector with all the work that you and your colleagues have done over, over the last 25 years that you, you're just positively moving everything around to, to the to the advantages of the sector but as you intimated earlier there's there's more that could be could be done if, if you could lose the shackles so on, on so on that basis the future well let's look into that that proverbial crystal ball what what what's what are you excited about what's the future going to bring us well we're really excited about the science obviously um we one of the major changes that we've put in place um, more recently is that we have um, a significant collaboration with the University of Cambridge. Yeah. Um, so one of our acquisitions was that we took on their um, the last vestige of their agricultural research team, which was wow. the, these world class potato researchers. Um, so they came to us in about 2012, something like that. And um, since then, we've been continuing the conversations with, with Cambridge University, who have world-class plant science. Um, um, there's no doubt about that. They're interested in, um, you know, having and making a big impact on food, food security and climate change issues. Um, but they had no agricultural research through which to deploy those changes. Yeah. So they've teamed up with us and we have Excellent. something called the Crop Science Center here. And, and they're looking at, um, it gives us a real pipeline from the really fundamental science. Um, so photosynthetic mechanisms, um, plant microbe um, interactions, um, pest and disease um, issues. Um, and it gives us a real interaction through that um, high science and you know, a longer time frame yeah. um, through, through the pipeline, through NIAB has pre-breeding platforms where we're looking at deploying some of these um, great technologies um, in the breeding space um, so we many projects where we will improve the diversity of the germplasm that's available for example so that um, there's more to choose from there's more yeah. for um, breeders to choose from to generate more resilient um, um, varieties um, to help mitigate some of some of the issues and so understanding the mechanisms the biological mechanisms being able to pull them through into real germplasm that can produce products that 
either we can breed into finished products but can be made available to the industry and yeah. being able to speed that up I think that is because it takes such a long time to breed at the moment yeah. I think the exciting thing is is the ability of these new technologies to target and, and speed things up it's really exciting I, I, I think it's just it, utterly brilliant that relationship you got with the University of Cambridge if there's one thing I think we have all learned on, on the likes of this group and other groups that we host over the last two and a half years is collaboration and, and you could accuse uh, the farming sector in the UK of, of being very isolated and, and especially farmers hiding behind uh, the, the, uh, the, the front gate. But the more that we can collaborate, the more it's going to be a benefit to, to all. But we've perhaps got to get slightly away from our siloed thinking sometimes to collaborate with, with potential competitors. Uh, but if, it, if it's a benefit to the whole sector and the whole sector is, is taking up a, a, a couple of um, steps, it's a benefit to all? Yeah, definitely. I think collaboration is, you know, just like on a smaller project, building a team. I think, you know, we have to be Team UK, you know, because we're we're working in an international um, environment now. There's no, well, we have been for years, haven't we, with with prices and energy shocks. And when, you know, we're so exposed to it that we have to become more adaptable. And we yeah. have to deploy this, 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 this science and these technologies to our best advantage. Yeah. Um, and that, and that's why you can't, you know, you can't, it's a pipeline in my mind. And it's, it's something that, you know, like I say, when you're trying to split complexity down into its simplest, simplest building blocks, you know, that's why I find it really useful to think of this delivery of science into um, practice as being a pipeline. And you need different players across that pipeline. You know, NIAB is not the same as a university department. It's not the same as a strategic research institute. Um, but we're all, you know, we're all important in that process of getting um, real services, products and information out to industry that can, that can help um, make these changes that we that we need to and do it at a faster rate I think that is life just feels faster it might have slowed down a bit for some people in 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 the um, during the pandemic but um, I mean I know my working life got so busy so much busier during that yeah. period and NIAB did not close down you know we had to keep things running it was um, yeah certainly a period where we had a lot to juggle but I think you know, coming out of it, following up from Brexit, you know, there are all these opportunities that we have to realise. Yeah. We've got to put ourselves in a really good position to be able yeah. to just get on and do it. Okay. So, so on, on that basis, I, have, I haven't presented it in a while. I'm going to give you my magic wand. Um, roadblocks, you're going to have roadblocks, speed bumps along the way. If I, if I could give you my, my magic wand to, to whisk away these, these roadblocks, what would those roadblocks be? How would you deploy our magic wand to, to accelerate even faster for, for you, your colleagues at uh, Anaya? Yeah, I mean, if I stick with the whole theme of, you know, uh, this conversation, which has really been about my experience and NIAB, it's quite a personal take on, on, on things. You. Um, I, you know, we do have a problem with funding at, at NIAB. You know, we, we, we have to spend an awful lot of energy um, because we are operating at this particular point in the pipeline, which is quite applied. Um, so, you know, there are... Um, the right site signals are coming through now from government about recognizing that um, um, there is a real need for applied science to be appropriately um, represented and, and funded. 
and supported by government. Yeah. Um, but we at NIAB, you know, we <clears throat> would like to see this moving faster so that there isn't this, this yeah. potential valley of death where yeah. industry doesn't want to pay for things, the public purse doesn't want to support um, things. And yet we are kind of, you know, because yeah. it's very frustrating sometimes when you can see things that really ought to and could yeah. be yeah. just happening. Yeah. Um, and, 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 you know, you can't say it. But my, my personal view, we've had a, a zombie government for the last six months for everything that's going on. You would hope that uh, as we get that all cleared and we get some stability, whether, <laughs> whether it be now or, or post the general election, that that trying to be positive, that that will 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 come through um, and that people will realise that the value of public funding for your for your sector. So those shackles could be can be, be released and you can move on. Or and we get more industry collaboration, we get more more industry involvement, we get more industry actually sponsoring sponsoring yourselves direct. Yeah, I mean we we worked at all kinds of different business models. Obviously, we we work a lot with grants, um, so we make a lot of grant applications, just like all other research institutes, and and that's and that's great. And there is a lot of grant funding um, there. Sometimes we're actually taking grants. Um, where our full costs are not covered, um, and that's where we have to sort of subsidise that. If we want to, if we want to operate in that that type of research, we have to subsidise that ourselves. Yeah. Um, I mean, there are there are some worrying things. I, I was quite worried about the AHDB vote in potatoes yeah. and, and and horticulture, and the fact that um, you know there's just a danger, isn't there, that some of those big levy payers, some of the big businesses will disappear to continental Europe to get their research done. They're global businesses. They're not, um, um, you know, it, 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 it's not necessarily a good thing. Um, that choice has been made, but there, is, there isn't a robust um, substitute for that, um, that that is yet in place. So yep. I think the industry collaborating and taking responsibility for um, this applied research space is, is important, yes. Yep. Because we've got some very good examples in the likes of Holland as to more successful examples, would you say? Different, different, um, possibly more joined up and certainly more less fragmented and more consolidated, yeah. um, which I guess makes it potentially simpler. Yeah. Um, I, I, you know, there are complex landscapes out there um, yeah. that, that all of us institutes trying to contribute to this research and the delivery of science into practice, um, you know, it, it can be complicated to, to navigate. Yeah, and would that be the epitome of what you're looking for, being the, the, the Dutch diamond, how many times have I said this, um, that in, in Holland, especially within horticulture, they've, they've got that uh, lovely virtuous circle of um, education, government and industry, and they all support each other to, to further themselves. And it feels here, we've got the, the likes of the brilliant NIAB and we've got some, some brilliant businesses, but we don't have that government involvement. It, is, is that where you'd like us, us to be, where, where the model should be in the UK in, in comparison to the likes of Holland? Yeah, I mean, as a research institute, we always like our solutions to be a bit unique, Max. And I think, you know, <laughs> we'd be looking for a better system than yeah, that. But it, it's yeah. certainly... I think you know the fragmentate the fragmented landscape, and if we had mechanisms to to pull that together in a in a cohesive way, which you know our conversations with some of the the politicians um, that were in post until the recent um, 
move arounds yeah, um, yeah. certainly showed that the, the thinking um, in the policymakers was there, the understanding was being developed. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we're, we're very hopeful that yeah. things are moving in the right direction. And, and you know, just before we uh, wrap up and, and bring Christina uh, De Debbie back, back in, how can we find out more about Naya? I had a, a couple of people contact me this morning to say they're going to be dialing in from um, on an international basis because they're really intrigued because they've heard so many uh, good positive things about NIAB. How, how can we find out more? How can we engage with the with NIAB? Well, um, we love showing people around NIAB. That's the first thing to say. So yeah. if anybody would like to visit, we have an institute um, which uh, at East Morling, which is our fruit um, based yeah. institute. We have 13 regional centres around the country um, and we have our headquarters here in Cambridge. So if anybody's passing and would like to visit us, then please um, send me an, send me an email. It's juno.mckee at niab.com. Yeah. Um, and otherwise, we have quite a comprehensive website. Um, but if there's anything specific that anybody would like information on, then please just contact me. Yeah. And I'll put you in touch with the right person. We People were too complex for me to say, you know, there's just so many things that yeah. go on the website, have a look around, see, see, see what you're interested in and, and let me know and I'll, I'll hook you up with the right yeah, people. But, but I, I don't think we've had it before. The, the fact that you just said, come, come have a look around. Again, it's it's just losing that silo thinking, which is just brilliant. Christine, Debbie, can you come back in? Um, what, what was I going to say? And also, we mustn't forget um, the the amazing events that I only mentioned too, the likes of um, cereals and uh, and groundswell. Um, and I was trying to interview some of your colleagues at both, so I couldn't get anywhere near them because they were so so busy busy the the, the the whole time. So, so Debbie, are you a big advocate of uh, of NIAB? Yeah, I think it's it's a go to institution to link things as much as anything else. You know the for instance, the, the, the wheat breeding work that they do links with commercial partners who then develop wheat, but then you go back to NIAB for wheat agronomy. So there's, yes. there's a, a, it's a great linking linking institution. And it, it would be lovely to see some output now from um, being able to do various gene editing, gene, whatever you call it, that uh, we, we will be allowed to do to help us solve food crisis really I'm, I'm really yeah. looking forward to to understanding more about that so I think there's lots of great stuff going on and I'm a fan and I yeah. go quite often yeah. Christine I'm going to lead you are you a fan of NIAB? Yes I am I just wanted to comment on the, on a couple of uh, topics that Juno uh, mentioned because because we're speaking at this national fruit show about school leavers and how we get people into the industry and I thought Juno's points on that were very insightful but um, we, I was looking at some school leaver research today ahead of being there tomorrow. The top subject, it's never been taught before that school leavers want to work in, what they went on their careers is now science and R&D and for the first time ever it's beaten public sector and not-for-profit as to where kids want to work, want to work. and about Two thirds of these school leavers want to continue with their education, but about 78% of them want to go to university because they want to keep their options open. They, and as opposed to the apprenticeships, which they see very much as closing them down. But I think that the big, biggest concern that I read, so I was thinking, oh, this all sounds good news. This is all going in, our, in the right direction for us, is that um, the, the biggest factor in terms of where they wanted to work was actually a recognizable brand. Okay. Is this the impact of social media? You want to be able to say that you work for somewhere that people have heard of. And the other thing is that about two thirds of them, the biggest influence on what, what they 
did was their parents. So we haven't just got to get to the kids, we've got to get to their parents as well. And they all talked about, 71% of them said they would like to have an insight day where they could learn. Yeah. Ties up so beautifully with Juno saying, Juno, you need to say this to all the schools in Cambridgeshire. Come and visit. Yeah, no, I mean, we do open days here. um, So we we can, you know, send out out invites to the general public as well. Yeah. Yeah. But we are on the back foot as the food industry, or not like I said, but but where people want to work with brands because we have got enormous businesses in the industry that, that, you know, that no no one knows it's a brand. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay, but, and the, but, the, the other bit that Juno said that I liked was the joined upness of the industry. And, uh, you know, even just in the area that I work on with, with Red Tractor, um, you go to Board Beer in Ireland and their equivalent of AHDB, Red Tractor, DEFRA, the farming industries are absolutely linked arms and work yeah. together to support the industry. And uh, we've got, I'd love to be there, but we've got a long way to go. Yeah, yeah, we do have a long way to go. And I think um, um, one of my questions, you know, to ourselves really is who's going to who's leading on that, Christine, you know, and how can we, you know, who, who is leading on making that happen? And, and what are the what are the factors that are stopping it happen? Um, because yeah. there are these other models out there that we should be able to embrace the right elements of. So, Christine, I'm going to give you my magic wand. Who, who would you want to, to lead um, as, as per Gino's request? You know, the easy answer is to say that DEFRA should do it. But actually, I think I need to look in the mirror. You know, we've got to do it. We've got, we've got to say this is ridiculous. There is so much more we can do for the industry. How do we actually present a united front, front yeah. um, and, and help everybody understand? And I think it's... It's all too easy, you know, to when when you're being attacked by farmers or whatever else to attack another organisation. Whereas I think we need to learn together, and you know, we should be just, you know, Defra, NFU, uh, Red Tractor should be just as upset as as NIAB are about the yeah. the the, you know, the AHDB boards. Yeah, it comes, comes back comes back to what we were saying to you earlier. We need collaboration. And not a little little bit of collaboration. We need massive industry collaboration. Yeah, but, but I think we it, sometimes when, when I used to sort of want to sort of get people cooperating, I used to think the reason that farmers don't work together is they're not hurting too much. But do we really need to get to the point when everybody's hurting and leaving the industry before we finally do these things and work and just do the very best we can with all of our all of the functions pulling together? Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's even more confusing when you look at the success of NIAB and the, and the likes of Gina and her colleagues, because there's, there's such a, a shining example there of, of how we can succeed if we follow uh, NIAB and using your example, um, Christine, let, link arms with NIAB and those all those other organisations as they have in Ireland to create that success. But Well, well NIAB is really interested in, in, in being part of the solution going forward, obviously, so... Um, heard it here. Heard it here, but we're not surprised. Really, but you heard you. it here. We, and we, we, we heard it here, we, and we needed to to hear that. I think, guys, that's probably a, a great place to to to, to wrap up. Um, Christine, uh, you're at, at the um, fantastic Farmers Club. What's on the menu tonight at the Farmers Club? Oh, I haven't looked yet, but I've, I've got I've got a meeting with QMS, so that's sort of a bit of a start of us all trying to link arms and work together. Excellent. Of course. Excellent. 
Well, Debbie Junior, I've got fish fingers tonight. Whilst whilst Christine's probably going to have, uh, hopefully, going to have a lovely time at, at the at the farmers club and um, have a little slurp at the bar. Uh, Debbie, do you want to wrap up for us for for uh, for, for Juno? Yes, it's, absolutely. It's really, I'd like really, to really thank very very much. Uh, I'd like to thank Juno for her time, her incredible insights into a lot of good stuff that's going on at NIAB, and also her insights into how it's changed and and maybe a pathway into what the future looks like and and definitely what I, I, I'm taking away is there's a lot going on there's a lot of collaboration and we all need to help support and interact and that that's that's uh, I, I do that in a very small way as part of supporting Naya but you know let's get on the bus and let's all work together but very much thank you Juno for your time for your insights for your power and for your passion it's just been a really interesting talk Thank you. It, it has, and Gina, before we wrap up, a, a, a question from a South African contact. What's the background to your name, please, to Juno? Oh, well, there's a question. My parents are both Irish is the answer. Um, so Juno is Roman goddess of, of women and is a character in a very famous Irish play called Juno and the Peacock. It's, a, it's actually quite a grim tale. I don't recommend anybody going to watch it. Um, but it is um, it is for that reason that um, my name Judo. And it Debbie, served Debbie, me very it served me very well. So um, Debbie Christie is such a cool name, isn't it? Indeed, yes. May I just say one thing before you switch us all off? That that we've got a, a so first of all, I must say thank you to Juno. I, I, yeah, I've re really enjoyed the talk tonight. Lots of lots of points of interest. But we've got next um, month, the December talk to speak is Rose Judy Elwell from the Sus Sustainable School of Food and Farming. Um, I haven't actually confirmed it. I've got it in my diary that she said yes, but I think I'm going to need to remind her. And then we've got January off, and then I've already got speakers for February and March. So looking good. Excellent, Juno. Thank you very much. And we look forward to seeing everyone at the National Fruit Show who's there tomorrow uh, to interview them and to hear especially about, um, about all the good things from uh, from MDS. And I think that's it. Juno, thank you. Thank you very much. Thank, thank you, you, Max. Thanks, Debbie. Thank you. Bye-bye, everybody. Bye. 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 Bye.